welcome to a brand new episode of Out the Box Talks. I am your host, Krill. I am so excited uh, to be here today. I want to give a big shout out to all of our viewers, all of our listeners. If you have been a day one supporting Out the Box Talks, it means a whole lot to me. I did have to take a little break recently, uh, but I'm back and I'm so excited to have the artist that will be joining me today on the platform. He has been doing his thing lyrically, you know, even production-wise for quite some time. And he's put out um, a couple projects within the last year and two. He just, just put out an album at, like, I feel it was like the first day of the year, January 1st, uh, which I'm actually going to be talking to him a lot about today. But he also put out a project in 2020, called Purple Moonlight Pages that was extremely successful, particularly in the underground circle. So I'm very humbled to have this brother on the platform today. He uh, is formerly known as Milo. So if you guys have been checking out his music in his past, you know him as Milo. But now he goes by the name Rat Ferreira. So to my out-the-box listening and viewing audience, I would love to welcome to our audience, my brother, the homie, Rat Ferreira. Welcome to Out The Box. What's good? What's good? What's up? <laughs> How's it going, you, man? man? That was awesome. Indeed, man. It's a pleasure having you. I forgot to Great say to earlier, you. this is episode 59. We are continuing from season two last year. I had a really successful year, season two Hell last yeah. year, brother. So uh, to have you to kind of be one of the first artists I interview in season three, uh, it's really awesome, man. So how are you? How is life? What's going on with you at this particular stage in time? Word. Um, well, yo, congrats on the on the hell of success. Uh, shit's been going, you know, calm over here, man. Just maintaining. Uh, I'm blessed to not have to, you know, worry about much right now. Uh, so I'm just relaxing, refining myself, you know. Beautiful Focused thing, man. That. That's good to hear, man. Now, where are you, just to be clear, like, where are you based mm -hmm. right now? And I guess for folks that don't know, like, where do you, you know, where do you originate from in terms of location? That, well, right now I'm in Cashville, Tennessee. I'm originally from Chicago. I've moved a lot in my life. Uh, so, you know, it's people from L.A. to Maine who'd be like, no, nah, he's from here. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm originally from Chicago, and, and now I live in Cashville, Tennessee. Wonderful, wonderful, man. How is it in Chicago right now, Mo? What's the climate like? Man, I haven't been back home since maybe six, seven months ago. Okay. But it was cool last time I was up there, man. Like, the city's a city. Indeed. Chicago's always changing, but, like... You know, then shit be exactly how it was when I was a kid. So it's like, although I love going back home, man, and I probably live there now, but I have my own child, and it's just a little too hectic for you know that. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So, just for folks that don't know, I kind of like to start off these interviews by giving the audience a history of just a brief history of oh, for the, sure, yeah, the artists and like how you got your start. Like, when did this idea of becoming a musician an artist a poet when did this become a reality as a career for you 
I've been wanting to do this since I was in second grade. When I was in second grade, my uncle, he's an MC from Chicago named Nizam, he dropped a record called In Due Time. And that year, it was 2000. That year, he was in like a couple Dickies ads that was in Vibe magazine. He put out a record. Like, this is my uncle, you know? So it was like, yo, man, like, you're doing it. And I was in second grade. So that just really put the bean in my back. Like, when I really look at my whole life now, I can see that was a huge, huge part. And then for me, really, when it started to become my career was when I was 19, like out the gate. My first mixtape, got some positive, you know, uh, attention, uh, media, media write-ups and stuff. And from there, I just took and snowballed my little audience and kept it moving. Yeah, from 19 to now, I'm 29. I just turned 29 last week, so 10 wow. years. Wow, yeah. bro. Wow. So that's that's great to hear, man. I didn't even know Thank you. you I, I thought you might have been a little older than that, but that's cool, man. Like, that means you... You've been you've been grinding early, man. Hell yeah. No, that's what I say. Like, because my uncle, I, it was almost like I had a career before I had a career because I could see all the stuff he was doing. And like he was underground and doing it a certain way. And then he was going to school for architecture, too. And he kind of took the safer route. You know, like he was like, well, music's popping, but it might not always be. So I'm gonna get this degree. And then when he got the degree, music wasn't popping no more. Wow. And so for me, right, I kind of had that same choice. I was in college, philosophy, music started popping, but I seen my uncle make the safe bet. And I was like, I think I'm going to make the crazy bet. I think <laughs> I'm going to go with this music shit and drop out of school. You know what I mean? And it, it worked out. So it was cool. Like like I say, it was almost like I got to play before I got to play. So yeah, from a young age, I, I was able to kind of see where I wanted to get in. How I knew I knew my style. I knew how I wanted to rhyme. I knew that there, there was nobody up wanted to in the beginning or even now you know what I mean and as long as you know that you know you'll have a job like if you're an artist and you can say look this is a thing I want to do and I don't see anybody else doing it you will have a job like as soon as people start to fuck with that and realize like you are scratching an itch they didn't know they had like they have to resort to coming to you now and that's kind of been my story mm -hmm. that's what's up man so I thank you for sharing that as I said earlier, you know, when I started the intro, that I really wanted to talk to you about this particular project that you released on January 1st, Bob's Son, right? I took a yes, lot sir. of time to really listen to this project and just, you know, get acquainted with the different subject matter and the lyrics on it. So the bulk of the interview will be focusing on that project, uh, but we'll also talk about Purple Moonlight Pages. So just to kind of jump things off with that, tell me a little bit as to how this project became an actuality. Like, where did the inspiration come from to title it Bob's Son? Man, this one's been a long time coming, brother. Even before I had it, this one I had the concept for probably five, six, seven years ago. Wow. And I, I didn't know how I would execute it or whatever, but I knew as soon as Bob Kaufman's poetry entered my life, I was on tour in 2014 and I was put on the Bob Kaufman's poetry in Portland, Oregon with a group of rappers and MCs just swapping ideas and stuff. And I was given a copy of Cranial Guitar. Oh shit. Are we still out here? Yeah, you good. I just put you up okay. on the screen. <laughs> but, yeah. So I got, uh, I got this copy of Cranial Guitar and it just kind of changed my life. And I started to get more and more into the, the myth of Bob Kaufman and learning who he was and his life and how he lived and, there was all these parallels to us, or at least I felt like it. Like he had a whole life before as a merchant marine, as a sailor, 
And in college, I used to row boats. And like, you know, like that, that, that water life, like I, that shit calls to me. And he was a super wanderer. And I've been a nomad my whole life and just an outsider, even among outsiders, you know, and the dude was unwilling to compromise his vision all of the time. And so that put him at odds with other artists, with police, with whatever. And that's like the origin of the term beat poet is because he was the beat poet because police beat his ass all the time. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So it's just different. And once I heard about him and realized that, again, the beat scene and beat poetry wasn't necessarily orbiting around these like white guys who were like trying psychedelics for the first time you know there's niggas involved who were doing really heavy lifting like ted jones like bob kaufman amiri baraka and so on and like that's just kind of the lineage i feel like i'm operating in like i'm playing around with language i'm trying to expand our vocabulary and not just like here's a new word for you but like here's a new way of thinking for you and that's the kind of work that i felt bob kaufman was doing and so, yeah, I knew I wanted to make something really crazy and weird. I wanted to morph our styles together. Like some about Bob's son is like almost every song starts with one of my verses or starts with one of his verses and then ends the inverse. There's a lot of stuff where I'd be writing a rhyme and in the middle of the bar, I just start putting his poetry and you can't tell where he and I begin. And like, I wanted it to be super seamless and like that blues shit. Like, you know, in blues, you you would hear some cat play a jam and then you would play that jam, but your way. And that's how I felt with Bob's shit. Like his language, all of it, like Frankie and all these little weird terms and inside jokes he has. And it was like, I get all of this. I understand all of this. I'm on this level. And I want to be in dialogue with this man through time. Um, and since I'm an artist, I can do that. You know, so that's 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 what this project was, making sure Bob and I are in dialogue forever. That's dope, man. Uh, let me just, that's dope, man. I just had my mic muted, but that's dope, man. I, it's its so great. Cause you said the word Frinky and I'm like, yo, that's a line that he actually uses. And I'm like, early, I'm looking up this word. I'm like, what, what does this word even mean? Right, he, made, he makes up so many of his terms in his poetry, but as soon as you read it, you kind of know, like, you're like, oh yeah, Frinky, like, yeah, these Frinky little fuckers, like, yeah, they must get dissed, like, you know, you're like, yeah. Like, ah, oh, I, I love his, his spirit. I love his spirit. and. I wish that kind of stuff, I'm not going to say I wish that kind of stuff, but I wish that spirit would return to us more, you know, to uh, to explore in our music and our art and be experimental. And, you know, the benefits of that are, are really <coughs> profound to me. Definitely. I could dig that. So one of the first songs on the album is called The Cough Bomber's Return, right? Yes, sir. And, um... I think at the end of the song, you have a, a line where you repeatedly say, wake up and smell the muffins. What did your dough make you make up and smell? You know, wake up and smell the muffins. What did your dough yeah. make you? Uh, I was just kind of curious to know what was your reasoning behind why you asked that question? What did your dough make you? And you kind of because it's, it's not enough to get paid. It's not enough to have money. You know, like you'd be like, yeah, I'm getting my dough. Like, okay, what did it make you? Like what, like yeah. dough is the beginning of something, right? Like it's not an end. Like you make dough into something. And so, yeah, like where, where's your muffins? Where's your baked goods? Like what, 
what did you do with this? Because I'm super poor. I'm hella broke. And I've been a rapper for 10 years. But you see, I'm able to get out all my ideas pretty well, like how I want to. And if I had dough, the shit would be even easier. So to me, as an artist of the underground, these are like the tools and the weapons I have. Like I might not have hella capital, but I can be like, what are you doing with hella capital? Because I have nothing and I feel like my art can hang with all of y'all. So what's up? You know, that's kind of the energy behind that, that bar for me. It's interesting you say that because I feel like there's other aspects of this album that that energy exists as well. Like there's certain mm-hmm. lyrics where you're, you're, you're speaking about that, like the, the importance of the, the poet with the message, you know? So I, I definitely want to talk to you a little bit more about that concept and just that, that understanding. Uh, but I do have to say, also on the Cough Bombers return, there's a, there's a term that sticks out, or maybe it's a line that really sticks out to me, and I actually find myself singing it even when I'm not listening to the record. And you probably know what I'm talking about, but um, uh, the, the, the oatmeal reference, you know? Oh, hell I'm back, yeah. I'm back up on my oatmeal, right? And you sing I'm it. back up on my oatmeal. Yeah, dog. <laughs> Tell me about the oatmeal cookie reference um, and, you know, its significance to this particular project. Like, why is it so prominent? Because it's not only on that song. I think it's referenced later on in another song, like this whole idea yeah. of, uh, you know, I guess snacking on oatmeal cookies. What, what's yeah. the significance of how it interplays into the album? Uh, oatmeal cookies is a major theme of Bob Coffin's work. Um, so that's where I got that from. And that's why off jump, it has to be brought up, right? Like back up on my oatmeal cookies is like, it's like, it's like slum village when he's like, put down the mic, you lost your whole glow. You take it too seriously. Like it's a gamble. Like it's that same energy. Like nigga, I'm on my oatmeal cookies. Like y'all trip about bars and do all this other shit. I have fun with my shit. And uh, it's still, you know, everything is popping. And that's kind of the, for me, I think, you know, what Bob be on with the oatmeal cookies. Like, this is nourishing, but it's still a treat. It's still sweet. It's still a cookie. You know, it's an oatmeal cookie. Like, it's not a chocolate chip caramel crunch joint. It's oatmeal, but it's still a cookie. Like, this is still a fucking treat, you know? And uh, just reminding cats of that. Yeah. And, And it's interesting because... Like we don't necessarily think of in rap, you hear a lot of consumption lyrics, but you don't necessarily think of it as food. Like you hear like pop the pill or like drink some shit, but that's like eating, right? Like that's physical. So I just, I'd be wanting to give people alternatives to that shit, you know? Like fucking you pop the pill, nigga, I ain't oatmeal cookie. Like, you know, like whatever. Like I just want that. I want those to exist in the same spectrum. Right, right. Like, if that exists, then this has to, too. Like, there has to be balance in the force. Or maybe not. Who knows? Maybe I'm tripping. No, I can dig it. Uh, it's it's light. It's light, but it's also not destructive. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I can dig it. Word. So you also have a line on that song where you say, um, never slid the tassel left. And then you say some, you can say like some lines later that you're never not woodshedding, right? And it when I when I heard that line, it, it really made me think about your commitment to excellence, regardless of any type of accolades, right? When you say never slid the tassel left, you 
doesn't have to be, you don't have to have a degree to be committed to excellence. And um, I just wanted to know, like, what would you say has been the biggest thing that has inspired you to be the your best self as an artist? Um, it's funny. It's not something people might think of. Uh, I don't know. That's a difficult question. There's a couple. There's a few. But really, like, the first thing that popped in my head, man, honestly, was uh, early on in my rap life, I got signed to a label called Hellfire Club. And uh, to this day, they're the only label that's ever fucked with me or tried to sign me or showed any interest or anything like that. And it was a rapper's label. You know, it was run by a rapper for rappers. and All cats I looked up to and really had lived my entire life being impressed by the cats on that roster. And the day that they reached out to me to ask me to become a part of that roster and you know, then the days where I started to travel with them and eat with them and build with them and learn from them. That was really, for me, when the thing affirmed itself back at me. You know, like it was like, yo, these are the cats I grew up on and they're telling me I'm dope and they're telling me the secrets and they're giving me the right hand and left hand magic. And like, you know what I mean? It was just like, dog, like, and I mean, I didn't stay in Hellfire Club. You know, I started my own shit, Ruby out, but like, those lessons, that time was so like impactful, you know? And if I didn't have that, I wouldn't necessarily make the moves that I do today with the confidence that I do. You know, it's not a lot of MCs who, especially my age, who can be like, dog, I kind of had a comeuppance. Like I, I went to kind of a school for this. Like I really got put on by the best MCs. Like, you know, No Can Do is a battle rap legend. Open Mike Eagle's an art rap legend. You know, when we were cool, bus driver, like, that nigga was a legend, you know? Like, just shit like that that was common, let alone hanging out with Micah Nine, Self Jupiter, like, you know, Freestyle Fellowship, AC alone, like, being at Low End Theory and, and being able to cipher with these cats, being able to cipher with Abstract Root. I, like, man, I was at Low End Theory, and I was playing a set there, Abstract Root came up to me afterwards, and I'll never forget this, as long as I live, look me in my eyes and said, you're a channeler. Yeah, I mean, stuff like that where it's like, dog, I'm, I was made for this, you know? So uh, I don't know. I, I guess I would say those early experiences with L.A. hip hop and the love that it showed me, that would be my answer to that succinctly. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that. And, and it, it, it gives some context to your, you know, your your journey in, in, in as far as emceeing earlier. So I, I definitely yeah. like that response. So... As you can see, I'm probably just going to be going through certain, you know, topics yeah, bro. for different songs on the album. Um, on Yam Chips Flaxseed, um, I, I have to say, the brother that you got rapping on the first verse, he does a stellar job. Is hey, his name Sal, S dot L, or how do you pronounce yeah, it? Sal, Okay, yeah. perfect. He does a phenomenal job. He, like, he really does his thing as far as yeah, the intro yeah. is concerned. Um, but um, you got a line where you say, and you talk a lot about dreams on this particular song. Yes, you say um, having pep talks with Pimp C in dreams. In dreams, yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted to ask you this, and it's, it's up to you if you're comfortable, you know, sharing. Uh, but uh, do you care to expound on what the dreams are about when you are, <laughs> when you are, when you have those dreams with, uh, with oh, Pimp definitely. C, and, and just definitely. like the motivation you get out of it, because you say it's a pep talk. 
Yeah. So for me, it's just like I really, I come from a background that like not maybe people don't know about, you know, and like uh, a pep talk from Pimp C is more my reality than, you know, like a guidance counselor helping me. (laughs) You know what I mean? So it's like for me, those are those are those moments where like, you know, almost like the ghost of rap yesterday comes and visits me and guides me in my dreams, you know, because I really be loving this hip hop shit and rap and being independent and owning all my shit and, you know, not compromising what I think is dope. And that's what I see in, in, you know, UGK. Like, that's what I see in, you know, from any style. Like, it's all the same shit to me. It's all Black people trying to express ourselves honestly. And that's the tradition I, like, I honor most um so i just want to be as wide reaching as i can and as inclusive as i can in terms of like who i consider to be a part of that just like i consider bob kaufman i consider pimp c like you know and um they all come to me in my dreams especially as it relates to this rap shit wow wow yeah how much as, as I'm, I'm just thinking about it, like how much have your dreams had any impact on this uh, Bob Sun project? Oh, a ton, a ton, wow, um, a ton, a ton. It's weird, dog. Like my relationship with my dreams is really not normal. Um, but like, yeah, I don't know. Like I had an idea in a dream of sitting in this place experiencing this music and then like a month later a programmer hit me up and was like i i just feel like i should be making something with you and it was like oh word what kind of stuff do you do i do 3d rendering and modeling i don't know what could you use for that it was like ah i need a place to play this record and dude was like oh i could do all of that and it was just like what the fuck like it just came you know i I had to be hella patient like i told you i kind of had the rough ideas for this for years, but just waiting and waiting in the cut. And then Alex Bowman, the dude who uh, designed and executed the the virtual reality cafe aspect of this really was like, what's that? The Vulcan mind meld. We were sharing the same brain um, in terms of the physical architecture of this place and the, the feeling that it creates when you're listening to the project. I, I think that, kid is a genius like yeah that's amazing work that he did wow wow so uh my next question is in reference to you as the producer scallops hotel you know as i was reading through the credits on this album where you well really like the track list where you see the featured artists i'm seeing rap ferrera but i'm also seeing scallops hotel and by looking at it, it looks like it's two different people. And it inspired this question that I wanted to ask you in how does the identity of Scallops Hotel differ from Rap Ferreira? Even though obviously we know he's a producer and Rap Ferreira is the MC. But how would you dis- define his identity beyond just him being the producer? Like if Scallops Hotel did a full album, what would we be getting in terms of his identity that separates him or just makes him unique from Rap Ferreira? 
Scallops Hotel is a producer and so is more interested in how something feels at the end, right? Like a rapper is more like, these are my lyrics, this is my shit. A producer is more like, this is a song we made. Like these are artistic decisions we're doing. They don't all have to be emotional or personal. Like sometimes they're exercises. Um, the Scallops Hotel stuff is way looser, you know, and it, as it relates to Rap Ferreira, it definitely um, spawned Rap Ferreira. If I'd never done Scallops Hotel shit, I would still be doing Milo shit. Because I'd just be stuck on the on my lyrics and just thinking of like, what is me, honestly? But as soon as you start making beats and you start to be like, how would I build a rap song? You know, what if I stop thinking of myself and my lyrics so personally, I start thinking of myself as an instrument in a rap song I'm building. And I just let myself rap like whatever I need to to fill in the spot, you know, instead of being like, oh, is that my style? Should I do that? Like, who gives a fuck? It fits here. Let's hear it. And that's what the Scallops Hotel shit allowed me to do. So then I started to really find my style, which is the Rap Ferreira shit. And yeah, it just felt like, oh, I gotta now do the cool project where I'm fucking both sides. Cause it was like, yeah, I, I could never have gotten the Rap Ferreira without Scallops Hotel in that development. And also too, just the hustle side, you know, um, having two Spotify pages, and making sure that they both get the numbers for the album. So it has to be listed like that, you know? But the Scouts page went from like 20,000 on the monthly to now it's at like 70 or something since it's dropped. You know what I mean? So that increase is like, good. Now I'm getting paid from two different accounts, but it's just me, but fuck y'all. Like, you know what I mean? I'm We gonna eat, like, <laughs> you know? Wow. Wow. I'm so glad that you took the time to express that because I was gonna ask you about how the name Rap Ferreira, like how did it go from Milo to Rap Ferreira? So that was dope to hear that Scallops Hotel had a lot to do with that. <laughs> and it makes so much more sense now. Like the, 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 um, I guess like the, how you say the connection between the two, between uh, Scallops Hotel and Rap Ferreira. So yeah. my next question is in reference to the track and forgive me if I'm butchering the name, but I'm going to say it how I think it sounds, but you could correct me. Diogenes or Dionis? I'm not sure. Diogenes oh, on the Diogenes. Ultra. Okay, see, I, I knew I was going to butcher it. You know what I mean? No, no, no. You can't butcher it. Fuck that great nigga. But yeah, it's Diogenes, right? All right. Diogenes on the auction block. Can you tell me where does the name Diogenes from that track come from? And if you had to explain his identity, like, you know, who, who is he? Like, what does he represent? Bet. So when I was a freshman in high school, I read a book. I can't remember what it was called, but it was a, a narrative of different slaves and like collections of different slave narratives and um, just all sorts of different people, you know, who've been slaves and just how they felt about it and shit they said when they were slaves and shit they said when they were free. And he was in that book. And he was in that book and it was weird because he was a philosopher and like I guess he had all these crazy ideas. He like lived in a bathtub and he'd go around town like pissing on people and shit. He was like a Bob Kaufman type character. And uh, he was so annoying, I think, that they sold his ass into slavery. <laughs> um, so because he was a philosopher, he was a learned person supposedly. 
they were like, we'll give you the opportunity to sell yourself, which was like kind of crazy. So he goes up on the auction block to sell himself and he gets up there and he's like, you should only buy me if you're looking for a master because that's that's what I'm about. <laughs> like, I'm going to be your master if you buy me. And a dude actually bought him and was so impressed by his mind that he hired him to be his son's tutor. And so he like lived more or less pretty free uh, as his kid's tutor. But yeah, I just was moved by that, that idea of like, you know, like if you were on an auction block, if you were a slave and they let you sell yourself, like, what would you say? And I was like, oh, I for sure would steal that from him. Like, I'm a master. Like, that's who that's you would buy me if you need a master. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's such a that like that line kind of sticks out because it's like one of the first I think it's the first thing you right. say on the verse. And, yeah. you know, when I look at the name, how you pronounce it again? Di Diogenes? Yeah. Okay. okay. So when I look at the name, I'm like, and I'm and I'm listening to the actual verse. I'm like, yo, this sounds like the Django. You know what I'm saying? Like, right, yo, I connected right, right, right. The name. Yeah. So I was like, but I wanted to know more about, you know, why you chose the name. I didn't know he was a real actual figure. So hey, yeah. Black History Month, February. I'm learning, even on my show, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, that's what's up. Thank yeah, you, he brother. was an actual dude. He was like uh I don't know, somewhere in ancient Greece, I guess. I don't know what era, maybe sixth century or some shit like okay. that. But yeah. Oh, was he was he um was he actually of African descent or was he an an a Nah, I don't oh, know I thought what he was. was. Okay, I don't even it. know if they had that classification at the time. Sure, I have sure. No idea. Got it, got it. Okay. I have no idea. Right, but he not not to say like you know he wasn't. I I have no idea what he was. Okay, yeah. so he's a rebel. <laughs> oh, definitely. But yeah. yeah, all I know was he was a slave, and he really said that shit. That was a, that really happened. Right, just, right. Just think that like a cat really did that yeah, blew my yeah. mind. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Okay, that's what's up. So um, uh, there's another line. I don't I don't know if it's actually. I think it's actually on. I think it's in reference to that. Yes, it's actually in um I think it's the same song and and I might be wrong, but uh you will probably remember the line. You say um very difficult not reacting to things, especially the ones yeah. that aren't happening. And yeah. when I heard that line, all I could think about was this idea that we a lot of us tend to go through where we we really stay in the future. Um, and we, we fear a lot of things that might never even happen. So I was wondering if that line had to do anything with that mind, with that mindset. Um, and also I wanted to ask about, um, so there's a two part question. I wanted to ask about the next line where you say, if it all becomes description, why does the problem exist? Right. Yeah. So for you to kind of break that down. <clears throat> um, there's like a whole idea. I can't remember what the school of thought is called, but there is like a whole thing I remember when I was studying philosophy of people who felt like all philosophy had ever done was actually just describe shit. Like no work had actually been done here. There's just a gang of like descriptions. And then there are people who were like, actually, that's all anyone's doing anytime. <laughs> and so, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to know, like, if everything is description, why does the problem exist? If I can describe everything, if I can understand everything, why does shit still suck? Mm, mm. That's a that's a very valid question. <laughs> if we all know, like, you know, the same basic answers and like, 
You know what I'm saying? Like every person you talk to more or less is like, yo, this is how shit should be. But it's like shit is all the way broken. Everyone has a total description of what's going on. Yet it's totally broken. Right. And that is weird. I could that implies it. something else to me. You know what I mean? Like that implies that there's another plan. There's another like there's other shit. Right. I think it also implies that no one knows everything. Mm-hmm. Right, the the idea that no one knows everything, that we all have something special or something unique to offer to the the totality of what we're supposed to be learning here, something like that. <laughs> but for real, like, um, I be telling my little boy, like, you're the universe pretending to be a little boy. You know what I mean? Like, just like me, like I'm the universe pretending to be this movie. Like. We definitely have the answer in us, you know. Unlocking that um, is is the the difficult thing. Like, there's a whole idea about you know, like learning doesn't exist. Like you're like you've never learned anything. You just remembered. Mm. Like you, you like if you think about it, you can't ever learn. Like if I if you didn't know what a sword was, and I said go in the garage and give me the sword, you would probably come back with a sword, even though you've never seen one. How can that be? Like you knew what that was. You had to remember it. And like, yeah, there's a whole idea that we don't learn anything. And uh, I don't know. I'm kind of on that. Like, I'm kind of like, man, if we could, if we really sat and tapped in, like you would know, <laughs> you would know. Indeed. How do you, how do you get in that mindset to actually convey some of these ideas or thoughts that you have in your mind into your your lyrics is there a particular mindset you get into or is is there anything you do to prepare yourself to write a particular song or is it just kind of just free-flowing i mean it's just like what we were doing you know just chop it up smoke one drink some water like you know relax and then let like just let it out i don't something that i think stops most people from doing what i do is they're very harsh critic of themselves you know, everybody comes up with rhymes and has ideas and, you know, insight, like you just said, but not everybody is led to, like, write it down. Not everybody is, like, believing in it enough to say it out loud to someone else. You know, that's a whole job in itself, too. And I don't know. It just, I don't know. That's how I'm kind of wired, I guess. I um, can dig it. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. So... Wow, I got so many questions for you, man. Yeah, I bro, you, I love these. I these are great. This is an right. amazing interview, bro. Thank you so much for this. Like, thank likewise, you likewise. So, on Red Guard Snipers, the first verse, you say, "I." It's not. It's not the beginning of the verse, but somewhere within the verse, you say, "Trying very hard." I know you are, but now's the time for doing. Now's the time for choosing and leveling up. How does that line... The overflowing of cups, the filling of treasure chests, the perpetual yes in dress shoes. Yeah. There you go. go. So tell me, how does that line relate to what's happening today at the present time since we've been experiencing, you know, life as a result of this pandemic? Like, this idea of leveling up. Like, it's so... It seems like it's just written for what we're going through today. So can you expound on the relatability? Yeah, I mean, I can say that all this whole record was written before COVID was everything. Mm. All the shit was recorded 
um, well before COVID was ever a thing. This project was done October 2019. Uh, it was just how I was feeling. I didn't know we would be in this and that it would be so like joined to the moment. But I guess, you know, I try to be in tune with the feelings. I try to be in tune with the, uh, yeah, with the feelings, you know? So I don't know. Um, bro. That part to me is, that part to me is like, it's kind of where I want to be. You know, I want to exist in the Red Guard Sniper's headset. I don't, I'm not always there by any means, but I recorded that song <clears throat> as an artifact of one of my closest friends and I being on that level, you know, being two, two people in this world, in these bodies, you know, with every reason to quit, every reason to give up, every reason to fail, whatever, you know, and people line up to give us these excuses. They want us to take these excuses, you know, and to be like, hey, nobody's upset with you that you suck, <laughs> you know, but like to just be like, fuck that. Like somehow I'm going to choose other, like I'm going to choose other. I am not going to be defined by my circumstance. Like I will leave my mark, you know, and that's that, that red guard snipers mindset. And yeah, that perpetual, yes, you know, the feeling of treasure chest, like now is the time for doing, like, it's not necessarily about, um, you know, the huge ambition. I mean, it is, but it's about the daily practice. What can you do? I mean, I, I don't want to know about the huge dream you have and why you can't get there. Like, what's the first step? Like, and that's what COVID time is about, right? Like, you you got to work on that refinement. You have to be taking the little steps. You know, already we've been through a year of this, you know? And then, like, in the beginning, you've seen everybody be like, oh, it's all good. Like, all you have to do is get through the day. And it's like, sure, that's true. But, like, it's now been a year. Some cats just been at home doing nothing. And, I mean, God bless you. But, like, I can't do that. I cannot do that. My son can't do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we have to be on some other shit. And music's so powerful. Something I've learned being a rapper for, you know, a decade now. It's like, I repeat all these rhymes. I give all these words power. I give all these words my energy. So even when I'm sad or whatever, I might not write the sad song these days. Because it's more important to me to put down something like Red Guard Snipers, where it's like, I want my energy. I want the whole world's energy. I want all of my fans saying these words out loud to themselves, repeating them, giving them power. You know, not like when I was younger, I'd be like, I'm super depressed. Da, 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 da. And then it'd be like, man, I can't get out from under this black ass cloud. Why? Well, there's thousands of people affirming my sadness to me, <laughs> you know, and it's like that's something that is really heavy. And I don't think a lot of people think about that when they listen to an artist who makes a sad song. It's like, that's a different kind of cross to carry. And I just want to make music that when I hear it now, I'm like, ooh, that got me pumped up. Thank you for that. You know? Well said, man. I think that's such an unselfish approach, right? Like when you think of your music as bigger than just your personal experience, but you're offering, you know, words that can enlighten someone's day or motivate them to be better. Um, it, that's, that's pretty dope, man. So I, 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 I got to salute you for even being mindful to take that kind of approach in your actual music. So Thank you. 
Indeed. And in the song, uh, at the end of the song, Sips of Ripple Wine, you reference poem seven of the jail poems written by Bob Kaufman in 1959. And the line starts off with, someone who I am is no one, something I have, uh, have something I've it's done nothing. is nothing, someplace All I've right. been is nowhere, et cetera, it goes on. Um, so obviously Bob goes on in the line to say that, uh, thank God for the beatniks, right? And you right. go on to say, thank God for Rubiatch Poet Gang, right? <laughs> um, tell me what inspired you to reference this line from, you know, these lines from Bob and how it is relatable to your actual experience. I wish Bob had had a crew. Mm. I wish Bob knew how good it is to have a crew. Because yep. I have a whole crew of niggas just like me who feel those bars, just like he said them. Someplace I have been is nowhere. Something I have done is nothing. I am not me. Like just wandering cities. Like we do that for sport, dog. We continent hop now, dog. Like, you know what I mean? And we're not famous. Like people don't know us. We might play a show that goes well and walk out the door and get beat by a cop right outside. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like we're not famous. I'm not afforded any security or any special way of living other than I don't have to wake up and go to a nine to five. And that is enough of a blessing for me, you know? And I just wish that like, yeah, Bob could have had crew and could have been around poets really like him and not poets who were, you know, not from his life and not experiencing life how he was experiencing at that time and not feeling the pressure. Like, look, it's a political act for any black person to, to decide to make art at all, like at all. I mean, like when people be like, yo, I don't like so-and-so wasn't talking about this thing. It's like, that's, that's a huge choice for any black person to make art at all about anything that we're not all deciding to pick up fucking arms is like, a, a, you know what I mean? That we're picking up art is a fucking political statement. And that's lost on so many people, dog, who consume this shit. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just so thankful for my crew. And and so I want to attach all that. That's dope. And just play around, dog. Like with this record, my style with the writing was so different. I've never collaged like that before. Mm. You know, I've never been like, oh, I like this. Bladoink. So openly, you know, it might be a bar or something here and there. But like with this project, as you see, it's like, you know, whole verses and shit. And it felt awesome. It felt great. Wow. Well said, man. Well said. And I, I like I like how you brought in the, just like the crew and, you know, you know, saying how you wish what Bob would have had that was similar to yours. Yeah. yeah Dog, yeah. there's so many stories from his life that it's like, dude, you just had no crew. Like mm. these people let this happen to you. Wow. Like there's a story that he's like walking across some park in New York. It might even be Central Park or some shit. And he's like walking across the grass that's labeled like don't walk on it and it's like the day him his baby and his lady are about to move back to san francisco so he's like running across the grass to meet up with his baby and his lady to get this ride to go to san francisco and some cop just decides like today's the day you know you you drew the short straw mm. just starts whooping him arrests him and then that's like triggers a whole series of arrests that lead to him like experiencing electroshock therapy and then he like stops speaking for fucking decades and like you know it's just like dude nobody came to get you 
You know what I mean? Like you just sat in the system for years and just like none of these beatniks and like all these other poets and cats who were at the readings, like they just let this happen to you. Like that's crazy. That's nuts. And I mean, you can watch the documentaries and all you see is survivors tell the story their way. Mm. Who knows how it really went down. <clears throat> but to me, it's just crazy to think that. Yeah, one of the greatest American poets of all time. Mm. Indeed. You know, was electroshocked out of speaking. You know, as as we talk about Bob, wow, as, as we talk about Bob, I think about how, like, hip-hop producers have given reverence to, you know, older artists that they've sampled from, you know? Yeah. And I think about your connection to Bob the the great poet in this way. And I, I'm just curious, like outside of the ode that you give to him on this project, what would you hope that your music uh, or just this body of work does to further his legacy? I just... Um... Or to get people to know more about him because I, I, I feel like the work is already being done because I'll be yeah. honest, I didn't know about him until this record. That's awesome. So this, the work is being done, but I'm I'm wondering like what your vision is in terms of how far you would like it to reach people in terms of his legacy and people just knowing about the greatness of him as a poet. Yeah, yeah. I want I want that. I want people to I want people to experience. Uh, our work in a in a different way like especially with like a cat like bob who is so really really obsessed with how words sound and the rhythm and everything and it's like it's one thing to read this shit written but like now we make music around this idea like you know like we've like been the whole like like jumping point for him is now a lane that's very wide and so um, I it feels like kind of my job to connect like the future to past, you know, like that's how I've been approaching my shit probably the last two, three years. It's just, you know, not just Bob, but many, many poets and a lot, you know, blues musicians, jazz musicians, where it's like, yo, this whole tradition, like the story we've been given about rap is not complete, you know, and rappers don't you know have to do anything you can pick what kind of rapper you want to be and so i'm kind of picking to be this kind of rapper who's engaging in i don't know his history i don't even know what i would call it like skydiving <laughs> like you know like i don't know it's some it's something weird but it feels like work and it's good and it entertains me so i just keep doing it so on the album, there are, a, there are a number of moments where, you know, I think you have some interludes with different poets. And mm -hmm. I thought that was really cool to include within the project. But I wanted to ask you particularly about poetry, right? Because hip-hop often gets a rap as something that's synonymous with poetry. But when you really talk about poetry in its actual form, like it, in its purest, I guess, most authentic form, um, where do you see that experienced within hip-hop? 
I think uh, hip hop, I think rap is poetry. I don't have that like hang up. Like to okay. me, every rap song is a poem, but not every poem is a rap song. You know, it's kind of like squares and rectangles. Like they relate, but they're not the same. And that's the same with rap and poetry. Uh, because at the end of the day, like you have to write a rhyme or think of a rhyme or whatever, you know, and you have to rap it. And it is divorced from the beat. Like it's not, it's not the same as composing lyrics for an arrangement. It's just not the same, you know, and you can write a rhyme and come up and spit it on any beat. You know, you can like, like the, the utility of it is, is poetry. That's from poetry and what it operates and serves as how rap lyrics embed themselves in our speech, in our thinking differently from how sung lyrics do, you know, like rap lyrics become like little weird mantras and navigational spells and shit. You'd be like, I learned this from a rap song, you know, like I learned how to handle this pressure from a rap song and people understand that they're like, Oh yeah, I've had that experience too. You know, it's like, that's crazy. You don't, who else, what other music do they say that? You know, other music takes lyrics. That's like the last thing they think of. They're like, yeah, and then I just said, you know, oh, my dog fucking is sick and whatever the fuck, you know? But in rap, that's like the first shit. Like the, the lyric, like you got two and a half bars to impress me. <laughs> like, you know where I'm hitting next on this shit. Um, so I think that most rappers are capable of writing probably the best poetry of all time they're not interested in it you know and they you know maybe shouldn't be who knows but a lot of poets can't rap at all (laughs) so that's some other weird shit so it's like it's just one of those things and then some people are blessed and can do all of it you know and refine it and work at it and that's the kind of shit that i i just love words you know from freestyling to um you know reading a poem whatever you know you said a lot of poets can't rap and it it made me think about like what distinguishes the two (laughs) you know like that was the question that came to me like what makes what makes it so that a lot of poets can't rap but we know that rappers can do poetry (laughs) because it's musical you know it's not just poetry it's spitting it cool there's melody still involved even if you don't think there is you know, meter and shit and, and switching it up and keeping it interesting. And again, having style, having the flair for showmanship and entertainment, you know, that's other things. Like poets think it's acceptable to put some glasses on like this, not even put no music on and just read their shit for like a long time. They think that's acceptable. I love poetry. I would never do that to anyone. You know, like I'm just going to read pages of my shit now. Like, that's absurd. And that's what a rapper knows. A rapper knows no one wants to fucking hear that. But I still have to get these bars off somehow. So, you know, the rapper's doing more work. You know, the rapper works way harder than the poet does. Uh, yeah, and, and so that's why I think. I think poets are kind of, by and large, lazy. You know, they're supported by more powerful structures. Poets are employed by, like, you know, you're the poet laureate of Oregon. Or you're you know, the artist in residence at Stanford University, this poet, this Harvard-educated poet who got to read a poem before the president became the president type shit. But to be a rapper, you have to hustle. You have to know how to make money hella different ways. 
And again, you know, nobody's just going to give you their time. You know, with poetry, it's like, again, it's almost like listening to classical music. It's like, oh, did you fall asleep, you uncivilized idiot? <laughs> wow, you couldn't stay awake and be entertained by just this. But with rap, we know the truth. And, and we know what we have to do to keep the audience engaged. And there's more of a give and take. Um, so I think that's why. You That makes a lot of sense. You make a lot of valid points. But I, I will say, though, and I know you agree with this, like, we do give it up to the poets. We respect what y'all do, but I definitely oh, understand definitely. that. definitely. I'm not hating. And yeah, I don't yeah. think any real poet who heard me say any of that could Word. lie. Like, yeah, dog, you know you be getting grant checks and shit that rappers just don't get. We don't get fellowships. Like, we just don't get that shit. Nobody wants to help a rapper survive. A yes. poet, you know, you can get a publishing deal. You can do hella shit. Right. And I mean, I'm out here pushing my poetry shit because I want to eat and live too. Real talk. But they're totally different. And I think it it takes an almost inhuman nerve to be like, I'm going to be a rapper. That's like a crazy, that's what crazy people say. Well, that's, a, that's a guild of crazy people. And I love it. Wow. Wow. Man. Great, great, um, great responses, man. Um, on the song, Bobby Digital's Little Wings. Yeah. You you speak of when you speak of being unashamed to be sensitive mm-hmm. in regards and you know in regards to to being the first stage of vigilance. Like so yes, I just want to focus on those two things. Let me just rewind back a little bit. You know, th- that line hit me because you know, you you really emphasize this idea of being unashamed to be sensitive. Like sensitive is actually a good thing in this case. Uh, and you go on to say, and you repeat this a few times, that vigilance is the is uh is the first stage is the first stage of vigilance. Um, tell me um what um what is the positive outlook that you are approaching with the word sensitive, uh the word sensitive from? Like, how do you see sensitive in a positive way in context of that those lines? I mean it in every single way, mm. in every single way. Like I was on tour with my brother, Elusive. This is my big brother. Like I love this man. And we both became fathers about around the same time. Like he's a bit older than me, but my kid is about a year older than his. Right. Mm. So it's like, we're in some cool shit, you know, like I'm little bro, but I'd be an older dad. It's weird. So we'd be talking about parenting and dadding and shit. You know how that shit is. And you just be talking about shit. And uh, we were like in Scotland. And I was like, dude, I just be sometimes crying with my son, man. Like sometimes I look at him and I think about my life and like how no one had patience for me, you know, how nobody like, like they let let me know, like you kind of a burden, bro, you know? And I look at him and like, I know he'll never feel that way. And sometimes that shit just makes me cry. And sometimes just seeing his joy makes me cry or whatever the fuck, you know? And I'm telling my boy this, elusive. And he's listening, and he's like, yeah, yeah, that's beautiful, dog. That's beautiful. I've never cried in front of my son. I was like, what? And he was like, I don't even know why. Like, now that we're talking about it, like, I want to. I don't know why I have not. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, dog, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, that's this is where this shit begins. You know what I mean? Like, like damn, dog, you know? And I just want, I want my son, especially now that I'm, like, a dad. And I know one day my kid is going to be like, what was my dad making? You know, he's going to hear this music at some point. And I just want that to echo in his mind, his father's voice saying that, like, don't ever be ashamed to feel what you're feeling. 
and to let that shit out. Yeah. Because everyone else that you see that is afraid to do that is constipated on a fucking molecular soul level and is suffering. <laughs> you know, like that they're suffering. And like you don't want to be like that. You don't ever want to be like that. Like hardness, strength, like these are things that come with like death, you know? That's some Tarkovsky shit. But like hardness is like death. Like life is represented by what's like soft and flexible. You know, like like you accommodate, like you you feel all these things, but you don't you cannot turn yourself off to it. That's like the beginning of dying, you know, and then letting, you know, just the rat race and all the bullshit seep in. And I don't know, I feel like I've been really blessed and afforded this way of life. And um I want to make sure that I'm not forgetting like just the little details like that, you know, like, like if somebody really wants to do what I'm doing, like all of my shit, all the clues is in this music. You know what I mean, like, like you have to be someone who is unashamed to be sensitive if Indeed. you want to do this work. You know, there's a lot of times I'm sitting alone with a verse, just fucking destroyed, mm. <laughs> you know, and like before it's ever come out, but it's like, if I wasn't sensitive, I could not get these words out. And I know every MC feels that, whether or not you fucking cry in front of whoever the fuck, you know, when you alone writing this shit, I know you'd be feeling something. Right, 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 right. You know? It's a level of vulnerability that that I think makes an artist such a a, a wonderful talent, right? Like, the fact that you guys, you know, as artists, I have a lot of respect for artists who share from their 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 deepest experiences because in many ways it it, it could be uh inspirational to other folks who might be going through the same things um like you guys are speaking it based on your experience so i could definitely dig that and just thinking well, about we in the in the position to normalize it you know like mm. the artist like artists want to use their influence to tell you to vote and shit i would never do that you know i would i'm the type of artist who's like you should cry and smoke weed and relax like that's what i want to exercise my influence on you know like you should give yourself another chance uh yeah i, I want to make sure that again you know you know hip-hop like you said dog there's so much shit just get stuck in your head you don't even know why right You're right like, why am i why am i talking about i'm back on my own meal <laughs> but it's like yeah but you know what you're not talking about a list of bad shit you know and it's like that's cool to me that's cool to me wow on Rejoice, you you have a line where you say, you know this life is vicious, and it seems Ooh. the only option is to cling to the mind that retains the faculty to dream. Yes, sir. Why do you say that that's the only option? I mean, there's times that you're just going to be in prison, whether or not you're in you know jail, penitentiary, COVID, school, whatever the fuck. Like, you will do time in prison. That's part of life and like you have to pass time in prison you know you can't let it destroy you you know and uh there's this beautiful jean Genet piece i love and this dude was a nut he was like a philosopher but he would go to prison a lot and kick it with like all type of crazy people and just like he like feasted on on like the, the wild energy you know and then he'd be like kicking it with Satra after his bids and shit because he'd just be so hype off the prison energy. But he says, uh, what does he say? He says, uh, oh, a person must dream a long time 
to act with grandeur and dreams are nursed in darkness. Mm. And that's like, man, that's, that's everything I feel about that. Wow. That's everything I feel about that. Dreams are nursed in darkness. You know, like you have to be, if you want to be a big light, you have to deal with being a big shadow too. You know, like these things are one. And in our society, especially, we love to just be like, this person's all light. Da, 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 da. It's like, that's not how this shit works. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> like, that's not how this shit works. Wow. Um, so, yeah, like, you know, like we was just saying, with this music, I just want, I want to, like, uh, assuage. You know, I want to be like a bomb. Like, I don't know. I don't hear music that talks about that stuff. But I know a lot of people have anxiety about that stuff. You know, so it's like whatever. I just want to bring it up, be slotted in there. You know, I don't really make songs about shit because I think that's kind of whack. I think it's whack when a song is about something. I don't know why. To me, when a song is about something, it instantly becomes a jingle or a commercial or an ad. It's like now this song is an ad for love or whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? But like when you don't know what a song is about, then it's a song and it operates in this like different way. And so that's why my style be like weird and disjointed, but I love that you heard that and that like, yeah, you know. And I think I think it's dope. You know, I'm I, I like it all, right? I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a hip hop fan of 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 a number of things, right? Most important thing for me is uh a level of creativity and consciousness within the music. That's that's my oh, thing, yeah. right? Uh but I, I like your style too because it is intriguing. You don't know what to expect. You're you're listening, and you might listen to the same record about five times, and then the sixth time you catch something that you didn't even realize, or maybe you know you you the only reason you caught something is because you you was hip to you you know you got introduced to the subject matter that you were talking Thank about. You, so that happens, and I love that that freeing of that experience to be like, oh shoot. I now understand what he was talking about. You know what I mean? So I love Thank that. You, yeah, bro. yeah, yeah. I gotta say, piggybacking on that emotion that you just said, and because, you know, we all just found out the brother passed, like that to me is the essence of Doom Style. Yeah. And like yeah. that's that shit that made me want to be a rapper for real. Like no rapper has made me study as much as MF Doom. Maybe Jay Electronic, but for real, like MF Doom, man, like no rapper has made me study. Like, what the fuck is this dude talking about? And that's the shit that's just like, you know, you listen to that kind of music. And I love all kind of music, too. You know, like when I'm talking about jingles and shit, I'm not hating. But I do come from a philosophy background. So it's like, look, at the end of the day, argue with yourself. That's a jingle. It might be dope. I might love it, too. But how do you say that's not a jingle? If it's about something, you know what I mean? And it's just like, once I know that as an artist, I can't deal with that feeling of like damn this is just one day going to be in a commercial i can't know that like ah, i can't know that and i feel like yeah doom is on that you know like he's or rest in peace was on that and so it's just like ah hearing you say that for me is the ultimate compliment the ultimate compliment because i know exactly how you mean and that's the that's like why i listen to rap to this day yeah be listening to doom line to this day and be like that's what he meant you know that moment like what that's what he meant like that's insane that's insane like i only just realized who uh gary ganu was 
It's like, you know what I mean? Shit that's like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I'm so glad that you said that, man. Um, you know, I've said it before, but Doom was my favorite MC of all time. So losing Doom was was a big loss. Um, and uh he definitely took me there. Uh he, you know, his music I was I said it on a tribute show I did not too long ago representing Doom, uh, where like my day would literally brighten up when a new Doom record came out because <sighs> I'm that type of dude, like, I like to decipher lyrics. Like, I yeah. like to get something new from the music. And I, I for me, I, 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 I've said this before, but I'll say it for you to hear, like, I think it's actually doing the artist a disservice if you don't listen to their, their work in the way that it was intended for it to be listened to, right? So, like, I respect the artists like that. Like, you know, um, you put all this time to put all that intricate lyrics into your music. I think as a listener, I owe you as much as I can yeah. have the time that you deserve that I give you the time, other than just my money, but you deserve that I give yeah, you true. the time to at least learn your lyrics. And it's one of the reasons... Uh, you know, at least learn or under try to understand what you're saying. And it's also one of the reasons why I love doing these interviews because as a fan, it gives me an opportunity to understand more about you in, Man, in you reference to the music. So, um, what you do, yeah, bro. Indeed, respect. So uh, I want to jump to Moonlight, uh, Purple Moonlight Pages. I know I've kept you for what? We got about an hour already. Oh, Are bro, you cool and still rock? All right, beautiful. So I want to jump to uh, Purple Moonlight Pages to talk about some of the, uh, the the songs on that album. It won't be as long as the Bob Kaufman piece, but I just want to just get the people to learn about Purple Moonlight Pages. Like, talk a little bit about what inspired that project and what enabled it to be so successful in your opinion. Purple Moonlight, that was like... To me, and I mean, I still feel this way, even though I wasn't able to execute it. It was my ultimate, like, like I can, I can max out around clubs that have like a 400 to 500 person capacity, you know, like when I can tour, like before COVID. And so to me, Purple Moonlight Pages was like the ultimate rap record for clubs of that size. Like I knew that as soon as I played that music in a club that's a 500 person cap, everyone in there is going to feel cool as fuck. And like, it, I just, I don't know, after touring a lot and being in a lot of these clubs and, and gigs and shit, you know, you just start to see like, man, this is this like city's entertainment or this town's entertainment for the night. You know, you start to be like, I've been here seven, eight, nine, ten fucking times. You know, maybe I might want the feeling to switch up. And so Purple Moonlight Pages was just like, I wanna make I wanna make something that's really cool and, and yeah, kind of sophisticated, but still real and off the cuff and loose and everything. But just like, you know, if you liked like classic 90s underground shit you probably like this you know that like i just wanted to make a record that that like yeah had that vibe but wasn't necessarily super explicit about it or anything like it wasn't like part of its myth or mm -hmm. pr push or anything like that or you know maybe even sonically but that was definitely the big inspiration for me was uh 
mostly West Coast shit, Freestyle Fellowship, Souls of Mischief especially. That to me was like, yeah, Purple Moonlight Pages is like my Souls of Mischief record, my Hyrule record. You know, it's just like, like just so confident in this work being necessary. I think for a while, for probably five, six years, you hear in my shit at least, someone who's not necessarily convinced that my music has a purpose or a point you know it's just sort of like whimsical which is important too but that's it that was that's like the one engine that it had mm-hmm. and now i feel like my shit kind of has a few engines driving it um and points of entry where you can engage with it you know depending on what you want to look for and purple moonlight pages was just the showing off that style. Like, here's a record you can really listen to. Here's a record you can kind of ignore and just vibe with. Here's a record that would sound, again, good in the club. Like, you know, there's songs on there that it's like, man, I know when I play this, people are gonna go up. Or I know when I play this, everybody's gonna shut up and get super silent and just listen. You know, um, yeah, that's, that's what that record is for me. Well said, man, well said. So there's a record on there called Laundry. And I have to yeah. admit, <laughs> I, my first time actually listening to the song, I was actually doing laundry. <laughs> oh hell yeah! Uh, but um, it's a dope record. Uh, just not, just, not just aesthetically of how it sounds, but um, because you you go from like talking about your experience doing laundry to then like your aspirations for your future, for your family. I think you have a line where you talk about um, gain, how many gains it will, you know, detergents yeah. it would take for this How many this, bottles of gain will I gain in this game? Exactly. Yeah. Um, how does uh, this idea uh, or experience of doing laundry manifest into these plans that you had for your future and your family? How did it go from one to the next when you were actually writing the song? Well, I mean, that's just kind of my life these Mm. days, you know, Uh, being a father and everything, tended to the home and keeping the home. That's just how my life is. So I was like, you know, how about instead of most rap songs, I'm rapping from this point of view of like, I'm a rapper and that's my life. But in reality, I have to juggle a lot of shit. And laundry is like, let's peek behind that curtain. Like, this is how Oz really lived. You know what I mean? Like, I'll be writing these raps while I'm folding this little boy's laundry up. You know what I mean? Like beats be playing while I'm fucking mopping and shit like this if you saw it you'd be like damn this this guy's just a maid basically it's like yep and that's how rap career works when I'm not on stage rocking it for y'all I'm at the crib doing chores (laughs) you know um so yeah that song just came from a super honest place but I gotta say it was inspired by my big bro Mike Eagle uh he has a song called Dishes from an album that came out when I was in college uh, called, uh, oh man, I can't believe I'm spacing on, oh, Rappers Will Die of Natural Causes. That's the name of that album. And so uh, there's a record on there called Dishes. And he does that. He's rapping about his dreams uh, and his rap dreams and shit while he's doing the dishes at the crib. And I've always loved that song and the vibe of it. And his version is so fly, man, it's so cool and so, like I was always saying, it's just on that blue shit, you know? I heard I his it. version, so I was like, oh, fuck it, I'm making my version. My shit's laundry, you know what I mean? And this is how I'd freak that. And uh, I, I love both those songs. I wish that, like, 
There should be a playlist of rappers who've rapped about chores, and I want dishes and laundry next to each other. Because I think those songs flow so well. Like, I'm such a Mike Eagle fan. I think that's one of his best songs. And I think Laundry's one of my best songs, you know, because I really, I knew exactly what I was trying to hit with that one. And I had such a great example from Naomi, so. That's a great idea and a great concept. I may have to do a search for more records talking you know about um, chores Dude. and dishes and laundry Dude. and stuff like that. Have you heard dishes? Because, like, oh, what does he say? He's like, uh, uh, man, it was, he has a thing. He's like, there aren't any forks left, and I contemplate eating with some forceps. I wish I had a Corvette like a killer rapper. And uh, he's like, Oh, what is it? Oh, and 50 is a millionaire. I wonder if he ever runs out of silverware. You know, there's all these like great lines and dishes. So it's like, dude, what a song. Yeah. Yo, y'all should do an album together, man. Y'all, y'all come up with that concept. <laughs> that would be crazy. Bruh, that's <laughs> my dream, man. Yeah, man. I would love to do that. So uh, there's another, I'm trying to think if it's, um, sometimes, sometimes these song titles escape me, but um. Actually, no. It's it's called No Starving Artist. Yeah. Um, you have a line where you say, "You've never, you've never been impressed with how they compromise the message for the spectacle of presence of the bespectacled heckler." Yeah. First of all, dope line, amazing line. <laughs> like when you hear it, you're like, "Yo, that should sound dope." And then the the other part I wanted to ask you was um. Can you describe who, like, who the bespect the bespectacled heckler is? The bespectacled heckler. It's just like the fucking, you know, self-appointed authority on on music. There's always that cat who's just like, well, actually, this isn't what that is at all. You know, and it's like unfortunate that in uh, our culture, I guess, American society, how it's organized, is that that person is typically who puts you on, you know, like that, that, that role, you know, like it's that same cat who will be the first one who ever heard. He's like, Oh, I heard of Milo. Y'all don't know who that is. will be the same one who'll be like, Oh, Milo's so fucking whack that style. So like, you know, it's the same shit. And like, I just see artists hustling backwards, you know, to try to get, to try to please that fan. It's just like, dog, good luck. <laughs> like you, you'd be on a hamster wheel for fucking ever. Like that's just a personality type. Like you can't focus on that shit. Like mm-hmm. you know, the the bespectacled hecklers come. Like the little like, what do you got there? Like them motherfuckers. You know, like they're they're always popping up doing shit. And I recognize how important they are, and all of that. But it's like you can't cater to to the tastes of yeah. any audience member. You know, it's it's a symbiotic relationship, but it's not catering. Yeah. I think what's also dope about the line is the choice of words. Like they, they're like so in pocket, and you know the the there's this juxtaposition. Never of, have I ever been impressed with how they compromise the message for the. Uh, yeah, what was it? How they compromise, compromise the, the message for the, the spectacle <laughs> of presence of the bespectacle heckler. Of oh, the spectacle, yeah, that's hard. That's dope, man. Thank you, dog. That was a hard line. It's just how everything came together. You know, you like you know those moments where MCs are really in the pocket. 
That was one of those, man. That beat, though, is just stupid. I remember the first time I even played that, Kenny, with those drums. The way those drums hit and it's... And the, uh, you heard of Salami Rose, Joe Lewis? No, I'm not familiar. Sorry. They make some really beautiful, very dreamy, like ethereal music on uh, Brain Feeder, Flying Lotus's label. Okay. But that's what that sample is in the back. And I love their music. And somehow Kenny talked to them and they okayed the sample. And they were like so cool with the whole shit. And like that song is just like, hell yeah, I'm in the pocket. I was so hyped. You know what I mean? I was like, ah, Salami Rose, it was the beat. Like, yeah, it was the shit. Dope, dope. So another song on uh, Purple Moonlight Pages. This will probably be my last song in reference to the music. Um, uh, That really, really stands out is Leaving Hell. And um, you said, oh, yeah. yeah, and there's a line that sticks out so much on this song where you say, uh, one time you was using the toilet. Well, you said doodoo, buddy. <laughs> I, I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at, at a gas station and you read on the stall on the wall, what's the purpose of life? And someone actually wrote back to be the eyes, the ears, and consciousness of the creator of the universe. You fool. <laughs> Tell me, if you, I mean, I, I hate to be so descriptive, but if you had to go back to that experience, how did you re- react to that response when you initially saw it? Like, Oh, man, I've seen that at a few, I've seen that at a few uh, turdlets that I've been in in my life. Really? And it's always been a sign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's from... Uh, it's from a book. It's from a book by uh, Kurt Vonnegut called okay. uh, uh, Breakfast of Champions. And it's like a character goes to take a shit and writes that shit on the wall. And he writes the response because he sees the question and writes the response. This dude named Kilgore Trout. And so then Kilgore Trout has become like a tag and people like put that in toilets. I've seen that. So people actually do that. Like it, it, it comes from a book, but people play it, it out in real life. People have tagged that. And it's funny, since I put that song out, people have sent me pictures of toilets <laughs> where they're like, yo, I've seen that. And it's like, yo, right. That's some real shit. Like it's some real weird shit. Like it started in the book and now like just people do it. And now I made a song about it. More people are going to fucking do it. And it's just like, when you see that, when you come across that in real life, it's like, what the fuck? You know, it just gives you like pause for a second and a laugh. And you're just like, it's just one of those moments, like an Easter egg for life. You're like, that's awesome. Thank you. Like I needed that little pick me up fucking moment. Thank you. Like I used to clean toilets, dog. at fucking Davis Theater in Chicago. You know what I mean? Like seeing that shit is like, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. My question is, does it hit differently when you actually Mm. see it in person? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm thinking about uh, the last time I saw it, a dude sent me a picture. It was like black Sharpie on like red wood. And it was like, you in an outhouse or something? Like, where are you you reading, man? (laughs) But like, yo, man. uh, Yeah, I think there's something, there's almost a mantra quality to that. To be the eyes, Mm -hmm. ears, and consciousness of the creator of the universe. Mm -hmm. What do you take away from that? Like that, that the meaning behind that, like, cause I thought about it and I had a, a number of different ways that I could look at it. Like, obviously I don't see myself as ever being the creator. Right. But 
maybe there's a connection to uh, an alignment that the creator I is think, in. But I'm, I'm curious to know what you take away from the actual... The actual to me, that is oh. like a really cool hip way of that same phrase. Like, you ever heard that shit where it was like, you know, we ask God, like, why doesn't God stop famine and murder and all these bad things? And God looks at us and says, why didn't you? You know, like that, like that same shit. Like to me, it was like that same thing. Like we are the eyes, ears, kind of like we are what we be praying to, what we be waiting on. Like, you know, we are that. We were blessed with that from the jump and we are not using what we are to get what we want. Right. And it, it relates back to that other shit that we were talking about. You know, like we, we have it in us, you know, just, just us. And that's not an ego thing, not to be like, I'm God. Right, you know, right. But um, certainly... Uh, I was crafted by God in, right. in 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 that image, right? Like I have godly abilities, and that isn't something to be taken lightly, you know. And, and yeah, yeah, I, I want to rise to the occasion. Got it, got it, man. Thank you so much, man, for the time thank that you, you spent with me today, man. I know I had you here for well over an hour, but no, I really man. appreciate the time. Uh, I want to I want to wrap up with uh, two last questions. Uh, the first is, how do you see these two projects, you know, Purple Moonlight Pages as well as Bob's Son, uh, impacting your audiences in years to come? Like, what do you hope people gain meaning meaningfully from these projects as time progresses? Um, I hope they age with people. I hope that they. Um become like references for this time, landmarks for this moment, but also, I mean, you know, I can only relate it to like when I heard like Operation Doomsday, you know, it defined that time of my life, but I still play that record like probably at least once every couple of weeks, you know, it's like, like I need, I need that jog, you know, it's a familiar room in my mind. I really enjoy going to at this point. And so I just hope that that's what these albums are. I hope they create a very comfortable, familiar place in your mind that you're able to return to as often as you want. Mm. Um, and that's why, you know, with Bob's son, especially the VR cafe, like really trying to drive that point home. Like an album is a place. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like an album is a place. Like you go somewhere when you listen to music. And we don't talk about that enough. And, and, you know, wanting to keep that, that place the same. You know, sometimes it's weird. Like, you know how it is? Like, a song you love, an artist might do some shit, and then you go back and you can't even hear that song the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. And, like, the more I do this, like, I just deleted all my personal socials because I was just like, man, Doom was never on Twitter or Instagram. <laughs> you know, like, that's just not how, like, that's not what's inspiring. That's not, like, they don't want that from me, and I don't want to give them that. You know, I'm, that's a crutch. The music has to be enough. Mm -hmm. The music has to be enough. I got carried away. <laughs> nah, very well said, man. So uh, my next question is, what's in store for Rap Ferreira? Like, how do you envision the sound of, you know, Rap Ferreira to MC growing in the future? I've got three, four albums I'm chilling on, so I can answer nice. that pretty accurately. <laughs> Um, the style is just getting like uh, more polished, if anything. 
You know, it's getting more polished without compromising anything. All the same shit is there, but it's just way iller. It sounds better. It's smoother. It's cooler. It's it's fucking groovier. It's easier to listen to. But again, all of the content is there. I have not compromised any of my philosophies, any of my beliefs, any of my... Like, I have certain writing rules that I would never... You know, like, you'll never hear me... Can we cuss on here right now? Yeah, go ahead. Do you. Oh, right. <laughs> no, but like, I've never, I'll never rap a lot of words, you know what I mean? Like, ever. And uh, that's just how I feel. And so, like, I don't know. I don't know. To me, rap career is like, I got the, the, the Wonka formula, you know? Like, I just know my shit now. I know my shit's going to work. I've got it to where I want it. Like I said, I'm chilling on three albums and working on, like, some something right now, but I'm not even really that serious about it because I got I'm sitting on three records. And I've been fucking right, I've been working on blues guitar, hella. I'm about to fucking be in my thirties. I don't even know if I'm gonna keep rapping. I might switch my whole lane up. You might I might be on here next. Like, you know what I mean? Like keep this shit moving, dog. Like I wanna make art for my whole life and I'm good at it, you know, so I don't have to keep doing one style. So yeah. You know, I, I think there's a a really big future with the Rap Ferreira name and, and, and the stuff Thank that you put out under that moniker. Um, and I'm, I guess my, my, my other question to close out is, um, it, it seems like you're moving in, as far as releases, you're moving in the order of like one release a year. Is that kind of what you're looking no. for? Okay. No way, okay. no way. Uh, my personal life has just kind of been dictating the release as of late. I've mm. been... Uh, I've been like separated from that long, but now I'm actually looking for it. Right, so like I'm not really trying to drop no uh, no albums. <laughs> I'm just you know I'm on that. I'm just like man, I'm just sitting here at this music, thinking about my life, mm. everything. You know, yeah. but uh, once I start dropping shit again, I plan to drop them all. Yeah, you know, once I start dropping shit again, whenever that is, I plan to drop two, three real quick. And then just get back up on the horse. Indeed. Wow, man. Thank you so much again for your yes, time. Sir. I wish you all the best and success. I know we've made it out of a really rough 2020, uh, but I hope that 2021 just brings greater things and we're able to really just kind of like get through this. But I'm going to definitely be looking for, you know, all the other things you got coming, whether it happens this year or in the future. Uh, but I know that these two projects are enough for me to sit with and to introduce to other people. Um, and, and it's just nourishing in itself uh, for at least another couple of years. So I just thank you for ah, your efforts as an artist. Thank you, bro. Indeed. Thank you, man. So you know, you're, you're a fucking gentleman, man. This has <laughs> honestly been the best. This, is, this has been the best. I'm really excited for people to hear this, this dialogue we've had in earnestness about this work, uh, you, you're a real active listener. And that's such a treat for me because a lot of times, you know, people have questions, maybe even a lot of questions, but they're, they're not really about what the, the shit is, you know? But these are like really about, like you're really engaged in what I'm saying, man. And that's something that I crave so bad, you know? Not like people just be describing it like, oh, this weird wordy shit this dude, you know, but you really came with these specific joints. So I just want to dig you up, man. Big up out the box. Like for real. Y'all, y'all killing it. Thank you so much. 
Indeed, indeed. And I and I put up the the website for people to go to outtheboxmedia.com. Uh I've, you know, I've been actually, you know, re reinventing the website. I mean, I just had to build it back up again. So by the time people like see it, this yeah. interview, you know, yeah, the website is official. You guys will be able to go back to it and check it out. Um, but you can also search for the podcast because this show will be available as an audio podcast on Spotify and Apple and, you know, wherever you listen to podcasts as well. So, um, yeah, I want to uh, thank all of our viewers and listeners. Please continue to check for Out the Box. We're in season three. 2021 is our season three year. So we got a lot more episodes coming. But in the meantime, make sure you visit the website, outtheboxmedia.com. And uh, Rap Pereira, I know you said you've deleted your your um, social media pages, but is there anywhere else people can reach you? Is there a website, maybe the Bandcamp? Where, where oh, can they def. get in I mean, uh, the label still has, like, at Rubyat on Twitter, at Rubyat on Instagram, uh, soulfolks.org is, like, my blog, cafe.rubyat.com. It's my virtual reality cafe. You can, you know, pull up, eat a baguette, whatever. Wonderful. Yeah, that's my shit. Wonderful. So, man, I, I, I tell all my viewers and listeners, man, like, go check this brother out, man. He has Thank something you, very unique and special and thought-provoking to offer. So if you are willing to give it the time to listen, I don't think you'll be disappointed. So... Go check out Rap Ferreira. I thank you again, brother. And again, I wish you all the best in success and health. And all the best in fatherhood as well, too, because I know you spoke about that. I see that that has a really big impact on you. So congrats on fatherhood and and and, and much success with that, too. Thank you, brother. Stay up, man. Peace. All right. Don't go anywhere. Stay backstage, uh, Rap Ferreira. I just got to chat with you really quickly. Hell yeah. But to all of our viewers and listeners, we will see you next Friday. Remember, we put out a new episode every Friday. This year, I'm going to be putting more shows out on YouTube. So go make sure you subscribe to the channel, Out the Box TV. Every Friday, a new episode. Sometimes we go live, but for the most part, every Friday, you'll get a new episode. And, uh... Until next episode, I want to say peace, love, and light. Y'all stay healthy. Y'all stay safe. Y'all stay focused. We out. Peace.